Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Five books that are really just one book. Today we review the major themes in the book of Moses on The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. A word is simply a collection of letters that, by virtue of their arrangement and collection, represent meaning. If I say the word chair, spelled C-H-A-I-R, you know what the word is referencing, something built for you to sit on. But if I rearrange the letters in the word to say Rachi, spelled R-A-C-H-I, neither you nor I know what I'm saying. Rachi is not a word and has no meaning. And that's not because I'm using the letters that together have no meaning. It's because I've arranged the letters wrongly. Chair and Rachi will never have the same meaning, even if they're spelled with the same letters. Similarly, we can't simply remove a letter from a word and maintain its meaning. If we remove the C from the word chair, we've changed the meaning entirely. Instead of referring to something built for you to sit on, we're referring to what grows on top of your head. These two aspects of the composition of words can help us as we look at the five books of Moses. Meaning is found in both order and in completion. We need to get the people, places, and events in the right order first, but we also need to not misplace or forget the people, places, or events in order to understand the fullness of the meaning. The five books of Moses are intended to be read as a single composition, with a single perspective, and a meaning that's not found in any single book, but in the books as a collection. You can think of the books of Moses as a chair, like we spelled before, C-H-A-I-R. Five letters for five books. We need all five books with everything in them before we can have something built that we can sit on. In fact, if we remember this concept, we can think of the rest of the Bible as what sits on the chair of the five books of Moses. In our Bibles, we can easily see the division between these books and assume that we ought to take each of these first five books and read them alone. As we have explored the story, however, we've already seen that these books are stitched together by more than just the general setting in the ancient Near East. They're stitched together by themes, promises, language, and a continuing narrative that doesn't skip a beat from book to book. These five books of Moses are a unit, and various locations in the Bible testify to that fact, so much so that they view the first five books of the Bible as a singular book by a singular author. A few times these are called the book of Moses, and often just Moses. Someone will quote or reference something in the first five books, and they will say, Moses said, or Moses wrote. Perhaps the best example of this comes after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's teaching his disciples about what the Bible says. As Jesus explains the Hebrew Bible to them, it says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, that, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here, Moses is a reference to these five books that we've just finished walking through. 
Jesus is indicating that these five books say things about him. The book, or books of Moses, speak about Jesus. I'm sure if you've been with us through the whole walkthrough so far, you're beginning to see how they speak about him. Since we've understood now that the book of Moses is a unified composition, the next vital question for us to ask is this. What's the meaning that comes out of the composition? What's the message of these five books? We're going to answer that question with three words. Blessing, faith, and king. If you can remember blessing, faith, and king, you'll be well on your way to understanding the book of Moses. So first, blessing. In the book of Genesis, the Bible begins with God blessing everything in creation. First, he blesses all the creatures that he made, and then he blesses Adam and Eve. And this blessing comes with a command. We read this in Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve were blessed, and in their blessing they were to fill the land and conquer it, exercising rule over everything that moves on the earth so that the whole earth was blessed both by God and by the rule of the humans. They were to conquer, to rule, and to be blessed. But the humans ignored God's command to conquer and rule over everything, and instead were ruled over by the serpent. They fell from the total blessing that they had experienced in the lush and abundant Garden of Eden. Instead of blessing, now they would experience cursing outside the land of Eden that God had prepared for them. The serpent in the garden tempted them to sin, and their sin caused expulsion from the land. The humans now live life east of Eden. Doesn't that sound a lot like the end of Deuteronomy, the end of the book of Moses? God, through Moses, calls on the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan. He calls on them to conquer the inhabitants, and he calls on them to obey God and experience blessings in the land. They were to conquer, to rule, and to be blessed. It's a not-so-subtle callback to the Eden narrative, and it's being said not to two people, but to a whole nation. Moses says in this final speech of his, Love God, obey the law, and conquer the land. The results of this will be unfathomable blessing upon the whole nation. In a sense, they would be back in Eden. And yet there's something in this final speech of Moses that tells us how this will turn out for the nation. It will turn out much like Adam and Eve. They will not conquer the inhabitants of the land. Rather, just like the serpent, the inhabitants will induce them to sin, and in their sin God will curse them and expel them out of the land. To the east, we later find out. Just like Adam and Eve, they had opportunity to enjoy forever blessing. Just like Adam and Eve, they had a mandate to conquer the land. Just like Adam and Eve, they were to rule over the land. And yet, just like Adam and Eve, they would be led astray by the inhabitants of the land, and they would suffer cursing, and they would be cast out to the east. Now the similarities are striking, but the major dissimilarity should really perk up our ears. The contrast is in the inevitability of rebellion. Remember, in Adam and Eve, there was no inclination or tendency to sin against God. There was foolishness in listening to the serpent, 
but there was no inclination to sin. Notably, this contrasts with what Moses says to the people of Israel. He says that he knows they will be cast out of the land because they are inclined toward evil. This shows continuity with the narrative of Adam and Eve. The spiritual death and corruption of nature that was caused by sin is inherited all the way down to the present day as Israel is in the plain of Moab. And that corruption of nature caused an inevitability to their cursing. Since they are inclined toward evil, they will most definitely practice evil. The continuing effects of the fall of man in the garden affect the Israelites' ability to maintain the blessing in the land of Canaan. They won't be able to keep the blessing because they are inclined toward evil. God had initially blessed Adam and Eve, a blessing that could be compared to the blessings Moses put before Israel. Fruitfulness, abundance, success in their conquering and ruling endeavor. Blessing is the beginning of the story of the Bible, and this blessing was maintained with obedience to God's one prohibition for the garden. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Blessing was the default, and obedience was the way to maintain the blessing. For Israel about to enter the land, blessing is the goal, and obedience will be the way to ensure the goal is met. Obedience to the law that God gave the nation would grant blessing like Eden. Blessing, then, is forever connected to obedience, but it's the power to obey that's the problem. Corruption separated Adam and Eve from the nation of Israel. Adam and Eve were not initially corrupt, but corruption crept into humanity after their first sin. Adam and Eve weren't originally corrupt. The people of Israel are originally corrupt. Comparing these two narratives at the bookends of the book of Moses helps us understand something critical about the direction and message of the book. It helps us understand that this chair upon which the rest of the Bible sits is a book concerned with blessing, obedience, and corruption. The original state of humanity, the state of blessedness in the garden, is the ultimate goal to the story. Blessing is the goal. But to get to the blessing, obedience is required. Total obedience and righteousness is the only way that this state of blessedness can be gained and maintained. The problem is, humans can't be totally obedient and righteous. We, just like Israel, have a sin and corruption problem. We have a corruption of our nature that taints our obedience with ill motives, ill intentions, and ill actions. No matter how hard we might try to obey, it's simply inevitable that we sin. Our corruption leading to disobedience makes the blessing of the garden unattainable. Universally, we're headed toward failure. This is a dire problem, illustrated at the beginning and at the end of the book of Moses. And yet littered throughout the book, we do get the sense of a solution. A sense that obedience is possible, but not in the way that we thought. What if obedience didn't require laws, rules, and regulations to obey? What if obedience happened from the inside to the outside? What if obedience wasn't something to strive after, but it was something to live in? In the book of Moses, we meet two of the major people in the Bible who can help us understand the way to obey and the way not to obey. The way of faith 
and the way of unbelief. The way toward blessing and the way toward dying outside the land. Join us next time as we explore the lives of Abraham and Moses as we consider their faith before we explore the final theme of the book of Moses, the king. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.